What's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Writing Friction. And as always, today's guest is pretty cool. Everyone say hello to Zach Sala. How are you, Zach? Good, good. How are you? Not Thanks too bad. Uh, the, the cat was just bouncing around. Is the cat on the floor or in the, the lab? The cat is on the floor. The dog is downstairs on the couch. I'd rather have the dog in my lap than the cat, but, you know. You didn't know there was a dog and a cat. Uh, boy, girls, what are their names? We care uh, about The cat is about. originally my boyfriend's. Uh, uh, her name is Janet. Mm-hmm. And the cat downstairs is mine. Uh, at least in terms of how we divide the vet bills. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Cat, oh, cool. Tell me about it. Uh, the dog is Susan, and she's okay. a Bassett lab mix. And um, yeah, she just she just kind of sleeps all day. She, in, okay. in that regard, she's like a writer. She just sits and pretends to work. Interesting. Yeah, okay. I, I like the pretend aspect to it. Um, so how, did you grow up with pets? Were you always kind of a pet guy? I did. I did. We were a huge dog family. Um, yeah. We got our first dog in 1997. It was a okay. border collie. My parents have a dog. My sister has a dog. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, dogs are just the the perfect animal for me. This oh, is what dog I grew up with. Uh, I don't know if people can see, but uh, that's my dog, Jack. In the sunglasses okay. and okay. his face. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I own a dog walking business. Dogs, yeah, dogs are a big thing in my life. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I love dogs. I'm, I'm, I'm shamefully not as committed to to get a tattoo of my dog on me yet. I, that's I, a, I, I mean, that's I have a lot of it's a lot. If so, for people who know, um, follow him on Instagram. It's the Leisure Bandit. He does these '80s style dog tattoos. I mean, they are. You know the dopest things ever, but uh, yeah, so yeah, it seems yeah. like it seems like everyone is is having um, Instagram feeds for their pets, and shamefully, I I don't yet. I feel like I need to capitalize that, and <laughs> it's funny actually. Yesterday, um, I went for a walk at night, and this stri- this lost cat followed me home, and so I posted a picture on our you know our neighborhood <laughs> Facebook page, and and of course you know the cat was found in and claimed in in like twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then the owner said, oh, if you, I said, this is a beautiful cat. And, and the owner said, yeah, you should follow it on, on Instagram. Exactly. So now, now I am following this random neighborhood cat on, on Instagram. Absolutely crazy. But you said the word capitalized. I mean, there are people who are making some money off dogs with like tongues that just permanently hang out of their faces and, you know, and it's just, the dog's probably like fucking kill me now. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm blissfully unaware, blissfully mm-hmm. unaware. I have to remind myself that dogs are not as aware of things as, as, as we are. A thousand percent. This is not a dog podcast, but uh, what the last thing it's, I'll it's, say it's is, going to be, well, the, going last to be thing, the last thing I'll say about it is uh, when I got Reba, um, a friend of mine, you know, I grew up with dogs, but this is my first puppy. And yeah. she was just like, you know, she has cats and she's like the crazy thing, difference between cats and dogs, you know, kittens and puppies is just like kittens want nothing to do with you. And puppies want to eat everything that can kill them. Like that's the big deal. Dogs will do everything. If you leave them be, yes. they will do anything, but they'll jump out the window. <laughs> they'll, they'll eat, they'll eat. And, and I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And this, and this dog is, 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 I mean, she's a hound. So yeah. you know, oh, and we yeah, have we people do. who litter in our neighborhood. So yeah. she just will pick up anything and everything. One time yeah. she dove into a pile of leaves outside oh, yeah. our street and came out with half a baguette in her mouth. So it's, you know, it's just crazy. Oh but, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So let's go back to the beginning. These dogs you grew up with, this was in Northern Virginia, right? It was in Northern Virginia. I've, I've been in the DC area my entire life. I've been living in the city itself. Uh, I think I moved here in uh, 2000 
end of 2008, I think, right on the heels of, of, of when Obama came into office. Um, into the city proper. Into the city, yeah. yeah. And, and it was, you know, it was a big to-do. I, I had a very irrational fear that, you know, now that Obama was in Washington, D.C., it would be impossible to, to get an apartment. Um, but yeah, so I, and, and I've lived in the city my whole life. I lived um, closer to downtown. Now I live a little bit in the, the northeast quadrant of the city. So over by... Um, Catholic University. I'm not sure how familiar you are with uh, with the city, but it's 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 a little bit more um, kind of suburban than 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 kind of right downtown, which is where I spent maybe the first I don't know six seven years of, of mm-hmm. my time here in DC. Yeah, um, I've been to DC a couple of times. Uh, you know, I, I've been touring bands. I played a couple of shows in DC. I, oh, I've done like a couple. At? Huh? Where did you play at? Oh, I mean, yeah, this is way back. This is, you know, coffee houses and club shows. Um, you know, gotcha. probably I moved to SF in 2011. So this is probably the last time, last time I was in DC was probably 2000, right when you moved there, 2009. Okay. Um, okay, yeah, but it was always on school trips and things like that. Um, I want to go back at some point and kind of just dig my heels into it and really, um, living there. I mean, you know, we're just, you know, meeting for the first time. Does that, city influence who you are? Are you into politics? Do you kind of have to be by proxy? I, uh, I don't think so. I mean, that's that's the myth about about people who live in D.C. is that, that we're all, you know, obsessed with politics. We're all politicos. And there are certainly plenty of them to be found. And certainly some of them are, are my friends. I particularly... I'm not. I'm. I'm kind of the. I'm kind of a, a connoisseur in the sense that maybe you are, and everyone else is. Like I, I'm hyper vigilant about the news, but you know, I I have friends who can name every damn representative, and it, it's it's as arcane to me as 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 kids in my youth who used to know all these baseball statistics. Sure, yeah, yeah, like yeah. how? Where do you get the brain space for all this? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I wouldn't say. I think it certainly influenced my life in, in the same way that I think living in, in any major city, whether it's DC or, or San Francisco, can can shape someone. Um, usually, usually for the better. I feel like it it turns out it certainly you know exposes you to to things that you you couldn't get get in you know suburbia. Although I'm I'm not I I I don't know I don't um, I think suburbia gets a bad rap sometimes. Um, I think you know there's there's a lot to unpack there, but I don't I don't think suburbia is the hell that 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 a lot of people make it out to be. Um, but it but yeah, you know I I, I basically so to answer your question, I I have no real interest in yeah. in politics or or in incorporating politics into my fiction, and that was actually kind of a um, you know I, I had a list of of things I wanted to tick off when writing this book, and I wanted to write a book set in Washington, D.C., in which none of the major characters either, you know, worked for a political administration or, you know, had had any kind of overt political leanings. Because, I mean, there are so many of us here who are teachers and, and you know, doctors, and there, there are so many other professions out here other than just uh, just working in in the government. Yeah, no, uh, definitely, without a doubt. And it's interesting that you wrote specifically steering away from that. Um, I mean, again, like you said, do you think if you had, if you were writing about something in DC that, that it would almost have to be around politics? I mean, were you conscious of getting away from that as much yeah. as possible? I mean, my, my, co- my concerns were, were overtly in this book. Um, and tell people about, what's, the about, name of the, what's the name of the book. It's called Let's Get Back to the Party. Yeah. Um, it's my debut novel, and basically the logline is, is 
Um, it takes place in Washington, D.C. in uh, between 2015 and 2016, and it okay. follows the intersecting lives of these two estranged childhood friends um, as they kind of navigate their their kind of their standing and their and and they're kind of the way they belong um, in terms of like a, a past and, and future of, of gay culture, which is, you know, constantly changing now more so than ever. Um, um, yeah. So, so what was I, what was I saying? Um, yeah. So I, so I knew I wanted to write about that and there are certainly plenty of, of um, queer people who work in politics, I think more than, than might surprise some, some conservatives. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> oh but, Yeah. <laughs> And and we probably shouldn't go there. I think my publisher can get better. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I I wanted, you know, I I just I didn't I didn't really have interest in in writing about politics. And part of it is because I don't have um, a, a kind of detailed interest in it. And and I did want to write about people who who live and breathe and work in this city. And and you know maybe don't even know who their representative is. Yeah, no, most definitely. Um, I mean, I, obviously, I live in San Francisco, right? I mean, I live a mile away from the Castro. Um, yeah. Living in this culture, you know, in within the, you know, the gay community here, I mean, everyone I know is either gay or kind of straight. You know what I mean? Like, everyone's, it's kind of always like that. Well, it's also, I mean, it's also fluid, right? That that's the, that would be the right word, you know. Again, I, I, you're probably your vernacular to this is a little bit more probably more detailed than mine. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I mean, be careful. I don't I don't want to set myself up as some representative. No of, worries, no worries. But yeah, fluidity would be the right word. Um, in yeah. DC, I mean, were you writing about that? What's the what's the culture like there in that city um, around the gay culture? Yeah, um, I, you know, I I'm hesitant to to make any kind of blanket statements because sure, I think yeah. in all communities it's so diverse and you know there are the cliches and the things you joke about which are you know rooted in a kind of truth you know that 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 gay men here are, are very upwardly mobile and concerned with with status uh. and, career. And, and i think that's true and and i think that's also you know that's also false i've been um you know for lack of a better term a, a quote-unquote practicing homosexual for the last 15 years and, and in my experience i i think you know dating in in, in dc i think you come across the gamut um but but it was a way for me to kind of, even though this novel isn't autobiographical, it was a way for me to kind of ground myself in, sure. in experiences and, and in an environment that I had some kind of working knowledge of, perhaps less than than others. But nevertheless, it was it was kind of a um, it was a little bit of a firm footing, I think. Uh -huh. I, do you, I mean, in writing this book, do you think you were writing for a specific audience, or were you really writing for yourself? I was writing for myself. I, I don't know how some of the other writers you've you've interviewed feel about this, but I'm 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 a big proponent of writing the story that you want to write and telling the story that you want to tell in the way mm -hmm. you want to tell it. The, the reason what author we're talking to. I'm sorry. <laughs> it depends what author we're talking to. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you know, and we all have our own experiences and 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 approaches, but but to me, I mean, you know the idea of, of, of a readership is, is so subjective that, that I sometimes think the, the only real sense of objectivity a writer can have um, is their own taste and, and instinct. And, and it also depends, right. If you're, if you're writing to write, if you're, you're writing to publish, there are other mm -hmm. things you kind of have to keep in mind, but none of that stuff to me is, is, is integral to, you know, at least writing some working drafts of something, you know, that, that has to be, you purely have to write that, um, you know, for, for yourself, you can, you can, you know, because the minute you start taking so many other people's, you know, opinions and tastes, you're, you're just going to 
frees up. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you always have you always had that mentality back when, even when you were younger when you first started writing? Were you kind of just you know I'm going to do my own thing, not really worry about? Um, <laughs> no, therapy and medication have brought me to what it is, what it is. We all, we all have, trust <laughs> um, no, no, this is, it's definitely something that I, that I, I kind of, I've acquired in, in the years that I've, I've devoted myself to, to writing fiction, which is, is relatively recently. And, and we can talk about that at some yeah. point. Um, but and it's, you know, I, 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 I say this to you and, and it's, it's, you know, of course, we all have terrible days, right? Where it's like, oh, like, why am I writing this if no one's going to read it? But, but, but you have to, you have to kind of constantly remind yourself that that you're doing this because it, it, it's almost like a conversation with yourself, at least at the beginning when you're when you're drafting something. Like everyone else should kind of be out of the room. Um, it's a very it's a very solitary experience, both physically and 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 I think even kind of mentally too. Um. Going back, yeah. Well, no, well, going back. I mean, when you were first, you said you're relatively new to writing. Well, first off, how new? And was this manuscript the first thing you wrote? Yeah. So I should clarify that I'm I'm relatively new to fiction writing. I have been writing all throughout my professional career. So I'm I'm a marketing and advertising copywriter. Um, okay. I've been doing that full time. I did that full time um, ever since I I got out of grad school. Um, and then four years ago at the, what is it? The, the winter of 2017, I, I left my job, um, to freelance and then to devote my time to actually working on my fiction, which is something that I had been, you know, putting off for, for years and years and years, mostly just out of, out of a, a, a fear of actually undertaking it. I mean, in, in some regards for me, at least for my journey, um, the process of, of kind of you know, quote unquote, coming out as, as, as a writer, as someone who wants to write fiction, um, was really kind of, of as charged as, as me coming out as a gay man. Like there were, there were, there was so much buildup. There were so many years of just doubt and, and, and fear. And, and then once you kind of, I remember when I, when I finally came to terms with my sexuality, I, I came out to everyone in the space of, of a couple months because I just, I just wanted to get it over with, you know, I, I kind of wanted to start my life. And so it was the same thing with this, you know, I had been, I had been just kind of debating and, and waffling about writing fiction for so long um, that I really just decided at a certain point, I'm going to leave my job and and try to do this. And, you know, expecting, you know, I'm a, I'm a pessimist, so expecting the worst, but at least realizing that, you know, I could go to my grave saying, at least I tried. Sure. Um, int- I mean, you know, I, I, I can relate, you know, coming out as an author. That's I, I've never, you know, no one's ever said that to me. And it's interesting. Yeah. I, I guess I recently came out of the closet as an author as well, because yeah. my whole life has been around music. Um, mm-hmm. I've been playing in bands forever. Yeah. And two-ish years ago, I started writing. I didn't really say anything to anybody, but I've been mm-hmm. reading my whole life. And I'm like, you know, I feel like if I tell people, like, they're going to be like, well, dude, you've been playing guitar for since you're 10, now you're 30. Like, what do you, you know, who do you think you are or whatever? Yeah. Um, and when I pub, I, I, I pub, I got my first book published like three weeks before the world shut down. And then that was when people were like, you write. And I'm like, I guess, I don't know. Like, don't. Maybe? Yes. Yes. Like, well, because uh, yeah, you know, I, I would have never called myself a writer, even though I, I made and, and still make a living, you know, 
writing, but sure, yeah. there's, there's, there's something kind of unfortunately shameful about admitting that you write fiction. It's, 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 and I don't know if that's like the burden of capitalism, like writing fiction is just something that doesn't pay. It's sure. not, it's not necessarily productive. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of like admitting you masturbate, you know, it's, it's, it's just like, well, what what good is it doing? Like, yeah, unless you're on OnlyFans, unless you're making money from it, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And and most of us are are not. God bless the few that are, but most of us are are not. And you know that that kind of shame, in the same way that there there for me was kind of a shame of of being gay. That that took a lot to get over it, and it and it, it still does. I mean, even when I was drafting this um, the novel, you know, I would I would hang out with friends or go out places and meet people. And, you know, they would ask that inevitable DC question, what do you do? And I would say, oh, I, I write advertising and marketing copy. Um, and my, my boyfriend would interject and say, oh, he's also writing a novel. It was the secret thing that I just oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. not admit, even though I had left my job to do it. Um, there was something scary about just succinctly saying, I'm a writer. And, yeah. and that's something that I'm, I'm learning to do more, more and more is when people ask me what I do you know, just say, I'm a writer and, and leave it at that. It's, in, you know, it's interesting. It's almost, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's it's the opposite in the sense of like, you know, you always have that classic idea of like, you know, the person moving to LA to be the actor, but they're waiting on the side and they yeah. just want people to ask them, what do you do? So they can tell people they're an actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, I, whereas I just dreaded it. I just exactly. don't ask you what I, what I do. I'm going to give you some long answer with all these different qualifiers. Yeah. Yeah, dodge I mean, around the fact that I'm I'm at home writing fiction. Thousand percent. Like people ask me now, like what do I do? And I tell them in this order. I say I own a dog walking business. Mm -hmm. I'm a business owner. I host a podcast. Yeah, and I kind of write. Like writing is the last thing I tell people I do. Do you do you think that your not not to interview you, but do you do you think that your goal is to eventually get to a place where you would say writer first and then business owner? Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, I, I am for, yeah, for, for people who are well aware of the podcast now, you don't know. Um, I'm at the very, very end of my first novel. Uh, done, okay. like, yeah, I, the book I released was a novella, um, okay. a boxing novella in Jersey City. But okay. uh, I'm finished with my first novel. And this, I started this podcast really is kind of like, I've been working on this manuscript for three years. And I started the podcast like five months ago to kind of just like, put it into overdrive, give myself the confidence by talking to other authors and having these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. So like put Cause I, I didn't, you know, I didn't go the traditional route. I didn't go to, you know, the colleges. I didn't get the MFAs. I didn't do any of that. I'm coming from the total back end of this. Yeah, uh, same so the, there's a lot of insecurity within myself going into this world. Mm -hmm. That said, um, now that I'm at the very, very end of this book and I, it's done, I see it, you know, it's about to go to my editor. Um, I still would never tell people I'm a writer now. <laughs> really? Even though you, yeah, even though you've, you've, you've had a published novella and you, you are, you have an editor that you send work to. Yes. Um, yeah. It depends if, I, if I'm on a Tinder date. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell her, I'll tell her I'm a writer, okay, um, right, right. but no, my friends, no, my friends, they know what's up. Um, yeah. It's it, but it's interesting. You know, when I was younger, I would, again, it was the, it was the actor thing. I couldn't wait to tell people that I was a, a touring musician. Yeah. Even though I was making no money. 
Um, the fact that I had like that pedigree, people, you know, they, they treated you a little differently and whatever, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know. It's, uh, it's- I, I wonder why there, I, see, to me, I wonder why it seems much more, for lack of a better term, kind of credible that someone would say, oh, I'm a musician. I, you know, I feel like a lot of people wouldn't question that in the same way you said, you, you would say like, I'm a writer. Sure. Yeah. I feel like in the, in the hierarchy of arts, like it's, it's, it's okay to be a musician. It's okay to admit you're a musician. And a failing musician. When you're, when you're starting out to say like, I'm a writer, it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, maybe that's how media is kind of portrayed it over the years. You know, I feel, yeah. you know, some authors have talked about on the podcast, like the idea of this author is just like, you know, I think Mark Lehner was on recently and he was like, most people think of the author of like sitting there thinking and then writing it down, thinking, yeah. And, and it's like, I don't do that. I can't do that. I, I'm writing. Oh, I, I, don't I write when I'm doing the laundry. I'm writing as my, I'm cleaning up dog shit out of my crate, dog's crate. I mean, like, you know, it's always happening. Um, but to answer your question with the musician thing, it's a tangible thing. People can go on Spotify. They can hear my music immediately. They can go on yeah. YouTube. They can see me performing. They can go to a club to come see me. But as an author, unless your book is on a shelf. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's very daunting. And I think that's why uh, a lot of people, you know, give up. I, I, I certainly felt that way at various points throughout this journey. You know, you, yeah. you kind of don't have, you don't have any tangible evidence for your own productivity other than, than what's inside your head. Exactly. Um, yeah. 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 It really it just, it speaks a lot to about what our, what our culture thinks of as, as productive work and, and, and what isn't productive work. Yeah. And, and you being a debut novelist, obviously, you know, you're just coming into this right now. Um, how are you feeling going in? I mean, are you going around town letting people know, you know, my fucking book's coming out. I'm an author. How do you, you know, it's, what was the process like for you? What is it like for you right now? Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny you say that because you would think that I, since I have a career in, in marketing and advertising, that I'd be so good at marketing and advertising my own book. You said it. <laughs> but it but, no, I, I, I freely admit it. Um, and, you know, thankfully, the, the kind folks at Algonquin have, have people who are, are helping me in this regard, because otherwise, I think I would just be kind of sitting in a room and like biting my nails. Yeah. yeah. Waiting for anything to happen. Yeah. Um, but it, it, um, it, it, you know, and, and, and again, not to, to, well, yeah, no, to, to, again, to liken it to, to coming out, you, you have to put yourself out in the world, right? You, you have to display your authentic self, even with all the vulnerability that, that comes with that. Um, so I, I just, I've kind of put on a, a shameless self-promotion hat and I just cross my fingers and, and hope that my friends and everyone know that he's trying to sell a book. Like he's yeah. not, you know, full of himself. Um, and, and most people get that. Um, how, how long did it take you to write the book? So I started, I started, I, I mean, the, the physical act of writing started in um, January of 2017 when I left my job. Okay, um, yeah. To, to, to build a freelance career and then also to basically devote most of my time to, to writing this novel. Um, by November of that year, I, I was sending drafts out to, or a draft out to agents. And in between that time, I mean, I had probably maybe gone through two or three drafts, um, some on my own, some after giving it to some readers, some people I trust Okay, for their feedback. But by November, um, it was in decent enough shape that, that I felt comfortable sending it out to an agent. Um, that process then took maybe like four or five months of, of, of rejections in the middle of which I, I, I don't want to say completely rewrote, but I, I, I definitely sat down and 
you know, so, so the way I work is, is I print something out and then I retype it and in retyping it, I fascinate. Fa- this is, I'm so happy. You, I'm so happy you say that because if I tell that to another author, they might say that's fucking insane, you know? And like, yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, like Elliot Ackerman, we had him on and I, I'm always going to use him as a reference because he says he does kind of the same thing. He, every day he takes what he wrote and he rewrites it on a whole new document. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I, and why I do that, I think that's just how my, my mind works. I, you know, I'm, I'm so envious of, of these writers who say that they write longhand. Uh, a, I don't think I have the wrist muscles to sustain that. And, and B, I, you know, when, when I'm, when I'm writing, my mind is just so hyperactive that it's, it's, it would be impossible for my hand to keep up with my thoughts. It's a lot easier for me to, to type to type, I guess. I, I feel like it, 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 typing something out in a Word document kind of closely approximate this, approximates um, the speed at which my brain works. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, and, and it's just, you know, they're, they're, I, I save the kind of handwritten edits for later on. Like once the, once the project is, is to a place where I'm comfortable with it and, and I like it, you know, and, and the changes are, are minimal, then I'll print it out and and mark it up and write things. But when it's like the first, you know, two or three drafts, yeah, it's, it's, it's typing it up, printing it out, retyping it again, changing things along the way, printing it out, typing it again. And, and by that point, hopefully I'll, I'll have arrived at something that, that kind of approximates what I, what I had originally intended. Yeah. Um, so after that first round of rejections, you said you worked on it for like four or five more months. You kind of moved things around. What, what was that process? I mean, were you, no, what were you not happy with? No, I, I, um, so I kind of was just sending it out for those four or five months or let's say maybe, you know, two months. I was, I was just sending it out to, yeah. to different agents, finding agents who represented similar work, yeah. you know, doing, doing that, that, that whole process. Um, and then just midway, I think I, I had received so many rejections that I, 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 and I, and I wasn't, you know, I would never get real detailed rejections. So I wasn't sure what was, what was wrong. Um, but I had spent enough time kind of not working on it and just sending it out that I felt it was okay to sit down. And, and, and again, I retyped the whole thing and, 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 and kind of made some, just some significant structural changes um, or, or at least, and, and also in some regard, um, trying things out that I had maybe thought, oh, maybe this will make the book work. Um, and then realizing in, in trying it out that no, it, it didn't really conform to the story that I wanted to tell. Uh-huh. Uh, and, um, yeah. And then, and then once that was done, I, you know, did another round of just sending it out and, and, and waiting and, um, yeah, I got from one agent. I just got just such a, a an incredibly detailed and kind and, and and generous, you know, rejection with the offer to to resubmit if if I had made these changes. Now, ultimately, the changes he wanted to see, um, you know, I, I had tried them and and they just weren't working for me. So, but I I remember that moment as thinking like, wow, like people are at least taking me seriously. Like that, like there's something, you know. Yeah, it was, it was just, it was just, it was, it was an incredibly thoughtful and polite and not, not polite, but also critical. I mean, you could tell this agent had, had, had taken it seriously and, and had given thought to it. And that, that in itself, the idea that a stranger who, who wasn't my family or who wasn't a, a friend, you know, who had no obligations to me whatsoever, 
um, could take me seriously seriously enough to, to give me that kind of detailed critique. Um, that that rejection really just kind of powered me through um, the next round of revisions that I did, and, and ultimately arrive at, at at the novel that's going to be in, in people's hands. So, what was that? The agent you would ultimately work with? No, no, it was not. It was not. I found my my agent. Um, Kate Garrick at the Cartfinger Agency. Um, I had submitted the book to her, I want to say in in March of 2018. Okay. Um, And she eventually wrote an email back saying she loved it and she wanted to talk. And and then that was that. that. And and we worked on a round of revisions together um, and then sent it out, I think maybe a month or two later to um to publishers and then um and then the the people at Algonquin books saw something in it and 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 picked it up and and then so I I I got my my editor there Betsy Glick and and we worked together on on a couple rounds of of revisions and and that um you know and that was that yeah I mean it's you know for the first book I mean at the end it's it sounds very, I'm glossing over it. Like there were, there were, believe me, there were plenty of moments oh, of, of kind of frustration and, and crying jags. Like, so I don't want to create this idea that it was this, oh, it's as, it's as easy as just persevering. Believe me, there were plenty of times where I just thought, you know, what did I do? I, I left this comfortable job for, for, for this, just to, to write a, a, a silly book about, you know, gay men. Like when, when we have so many other brilliant gay writers already working, like what, you know, well, some of them aren't working. Some of them are just on Instagram. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, it's it's interesting because I'm you know to turn the camera on me for just a second. I'm mm. at the point where I'm with my novel. I've been working on it for two and a half years. I'm either gonna send it to the editor, spend the money, work on it again, send it out, or I'm going to take my laptop go to the Golden Gate Bridge and jump off with my laptop attached to me. I don't know where I'm at right now. And every day it's a different thing. Um, you know, the insecurity is crippling me. Um, but yeah. at the same time, like you said, you know, I, I the novella, I, I, I self-published the novella. It got rejected 73 times. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know what? I wrote it. It's, it's just a little fucking book. I can just, I want to see my book on a bookshelf. Um, yeah. And I did it. And I'm happy I did that. This book, if it doesn't get published, I, I'm not going to self-publish it. Um, I'll write another book. Um, but the thing is, you know, it's so it's so in me right now that the idea of like, of even just putting it out there, it, it's crippling me, uh, you know, to go, to go through that next round of rejections. I mean, it's fucking brutal. It, it, it is. I mean, I... I... You know, I firmly believe that writing itself is is absolutely hard, but I think what's even harder is just the psychological and emotional pressures of of, of writing something and, and telling a story and, and wanting to share it with people. I mean, just kind of imagine how relatively easy the task would be if we just, you know, d- didn't give a shit about things like, you know, what, what are people going to think of this? Or is this going to find a publisher? Or, yeah. you know... Um, it, you know, am I, am I doing the right thing? There's just, it's such an emotionally fraught activity career. Um, that, that, yeah, sometimes, sometimes it, it, yeah, that's, that's why people give up. That's why, you know, I, you know, there are periods where, where I almost gave up because it's, it's not, it's not the writing that's, the writing is hard, but I don't think it's it's the difficulty of the writing that makes people stop. I think it's all the the kind of emotional and psychological pressures. Yeah, and, you know, and, and I'm a big guy. You got to trust your gut. 
you know, it, like it, when I'm reading back, like my thing is like if if I, I write you know humorous, I write funny stuff. Like my writings, I try to be overtly humorous. Um, and and when I'm writing, when I'm reading things back, if it makes me laugh, I don't even it, just keep going. That's staying. Don't even think yeah. about it. Um, so I'm trying to just trust the gut and go through it. And I feel like now this is a therapy session on my end, but it's not. Uh, let's go back I'm to not you. <laughs> Um, so, uh, are you working on any, anything next? I mean, or do you work on simultaneous projects? What, what's up for you in the future? I'm, I'm very single-minded. I'm like a dog digging a hole. Like yeah. I, I will not stop until, you know, I've, I've finished something. So, um, but that being said, this, this novel has, has technically been done for quite a while, just given the, the length of time that it takes for, to, to publish an actual physical book. Yeah. So I have been working on a couple projects, a new, no, a new novel. Um, I, I work on short stories in my downtime. So I'm, I'm gathering some of those together and, and seeing what might come from that. Um, so it's, it's, it's nice to know that, you know, kind of once this publicity aspect of it is, is maybe not over, but it's certainly kind of dimmed down in, in the weeks after publication that I won't be stuck with a blank computer screen. Like, you know, I'll at least have something tangible. Sure. Uh, just, just the physical presence of a manuscript to me is, is, is so comforting. I remember when I wrote that first draft, um, maybe in like two, two or three months and I, I went to Staples and, and, and printed it out and they put it in this box and I came home and I took it out of the box and I just sat the maybe like 300 something pages on my yeah. table. Um, and there, and knowing that that 70% of it was shit. Oh yeah. Um, there was still nevertheless, just something comforting about the accumulation of pages, you know, I mean, going back to talking about, you know, visible signs of, of productivity. I mean, sure. just knowing that, here was this physical object. And, and now that it was somewhat out of my head and in the world, it just immediately felt, it still felt daunting, don't get me wrong, but it, but in some way it, it felt a little more manageable. Like, oh, this is just a, a stack of pages like with yeah. words on it. I can I can do something with this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a similar experience with my novella when I finished it and I got, I sent in my editor, I got back, I went to, you know, FedEx Kinko's. Um, it's also not cheap to print out that many pieces of paper. It, well, I guess, it, I guess it depends. So I, I, you know, I print out, I print out every draft. I don't, I don't have a printer in my office. Yeah, so yeah. I use it as an excuse to go out into the world to go to, to go to stables. Oh, you print every draft. I, I do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, again, like just the, the accumulation of drafts make me feel like I'm doing something right. Um, but yeah, I want to say it's like $38 to print black and yeah, white. I mean, it's, fun. It's, just fu it's just a fun, it's just a funny thing to have to think about, you know? Well, no, believe me, there are, there are plenty of other things I would rather do with those $38, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, Zach, this has been a blast, man. Um, I always ask two questions at the end of these. Um, sure. first off, are you, you do social media, Twitter, Instagram, anything like I that? Do. Yeah. My, so my website is my name at zacksala.com. You can find links to my Twitter profile. I, I tweet occasionally and responsibly. Um, and I'm on Instagram too. So, okay, okay, great. And the name of the and the name of the book is Let's Get Back to the Party, correct? Yes. yes. And the last question I ask is where are people going to buy your books from? What bookstores you like to rep? Well, hopefully independent bookstores. Um and you know, we're really blessed here in DC to have so many um and, you know, I'm, I, I'm certainly, I won't be able to name them all, but I'm thinking of, you know, we have Loyalty Bookstore, we have Politics and Prose, we have Solid State Books and Kramer Books and Old Town Books in, in Old Town Alexandria. Yeah. Um, 
Capitol Hill books. Um, there are just there are so many. It's it's such a great city for it's a city of readers. Um, yeah, for sure. Zach, it's been a pleasure, so man. Oh, likewise. Thank you so much. Yeah, for, no, most uh, definitely. For me. I yeah, it. enjoy um, enjoy DC, and I'm sure we'll see each other again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. Without a doubt. Bye bye. What's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Writing Friction. And as always, today's guest is pretty cool. Everyone say hello to Daniel Gumbiner. How are you, Daniel? I'm doing well. Glad to be here. Thank yeah, man, I love the smile. It seems like we're pretty stoked. You're over in Oakland. I'm in SF. This yeah. is probably the closest Zoom podcast I've done with someone in a geographical sense. <laughs> I know. We're not for the pandemic. Crazy, man. Crazy. I mean, you're... Somewhere. And your book, The Boat Builder, is pretty new. I mean, you know, to kind of hop right into it, I mean, you know, did this affect any events you kind of had going in with the book? Were you still kind of pushing the book along in that way? Um, no, it was pretty well after sort of mm -hmm. when I had been doing most of the publicity and stuff around the book. Uh -huh. So, yeah, fortunately for me, I know it's real tough for folks who are having their uh, first novels come out right now and trying to manage those kinds of uh, you know, campaigns, digital, digital events and all that stuff. So yeah, I, I didn't have to really do any of that. Yeah, no, I mean, I've talked about it ad nauseum, but I, I, my first book was released three weeks before the world shut down. So it's kind of like, I'm, so I'm like, all right, let me just start, I'll start a podcast. Yeah. Cool. So where are you from originally? Are you from Northern California, right? Yeah. I'm from Marin County. So uh, what part of Marin? Where were you born and raised? Uh, in Well, so I was born in San Francisco and grew up oh. there. And then my family moved to Marin. We moved to uh, Kentfield, which is right by the College of Marin. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, near Fairfax. Okay. Where in SF, where, where, where in San Francisco is your family from? Um, well, my family's not from there, but oh, okay. my, my parents both met out there. And nice. uh, we lived in a couple different apartments. We lived in uh, Pack Heights and we also lived in the Fillmore. Oh, okay, cool. I'm over in yeah. Heat Ashbury, but I moved here nine years ago from Northern Jersey. But I was in Lower Heat for almost yeah, almost a decade. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I also lived in the city too. I I lived in the Richmond for a while um, this, before I came to the East Bay. Okay, yeah. I mean, the yeah. Bay Area, man. I mean, being a dude, I, my family's from the Bronx. I was born in Queens, grew up where they, you know, they filmed The Sopranos. So, like, moving to the Bay Area, I mean, it's. It, for people who have never been here, I mean, it's hard to explain, but the vi it's it's so my vibe. You have to be in the vibe of the Bay Area to really, you know, get the most out of it. Um, so that being said, growing up, like, you know, you can, there's a lot of ways to grow up in the Bay Area. Uh, how were you, I mean, were you kind of like a kid, you know, bombing hills on your skateboard, smoking weed? Were you kind of just, you know, buttoned up in the library? What were you kind of like as a kid? You know, I was, I mean, I went, I went through a lot of different phases, I would say, but probably my biggest love as a child was basketball. Oh, Pretty okay. From seventh grade on, I was really into basketball. So I devoted all of my time to sort of, uh, working on my skills and playing outdoors. And Are you a tall dude? 
I'm I'm like six two, okay, so not so tall. It, yeah, realistically, tall it's, yeah. Yeah, but but not tall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was. I mean, I was so I was outside playing basketball a lot. That was one of my favorite things to do. But you know, growing up in Marin too, there was just so much uh, great like outdoors opportunities around. So I spent a lot of time hiking and hanging out in the woods. And uh, were your parents so, kind of like hippies? I mean, wh- what brought them to the bay? They were. My my mom definitely was. I I don't know if I would describe my dad as directly as a hippie, but my mom definitely self-identifies as a hippie uh, and, you know, w- was uh, a part of that uh, whole movement out here uh, a little li- not in the 60s, but a little later in the 70s. And she lived on a beach in, in Hawaii and uh, was she, made jewelry. Was she part of like the whole dead scene? I mean, was she into the Grateful Dead? Was that part of her life? Wasn't into the dead as much. She was more into the Rolling Stones. Okay, right on. Yeah. Uh, which she always had like a really strict... In her mind, there was a really strict line between fans of the Rolling Stones and fans of the Beatles. And like wh- whatever way you went there was like a, a real determining factor in, as far as uh, whose side you were on. <laughs> so was music uh, being played in your house as a kid? Was music part of your childhood? Yeah, to a certain extent. I wouldn't say it was a huge part of it, but definitely the, yeah, the, the kind of like, uh, you know, influence of like hippie culture in a certain way. You know, my mom had a, a CSA from the time we were very young and, and went to farmer's markets. And so that was all stuff we kind of like grew up with. I mean, you know, I grew up in, have you ever been to, have you, have you ever been to New York city? I have. Yeah. Okay. So my mom's actually from New York. She's from Long Island. Oh, oh, from, okay, cool. So like growing up where I grew up, like, you know, there weren't farmer's markets in, uh, in Northern New Jersey growing. I mean, it yeah. just wasn't a thing. Right. So like when yeah. I moved to the Bay, like I, I saw this word and I'm like, what's that? Taqueria? Like a taqueria. And my friend's like, dude, it's, it's a taqueria. That's where you get uh-huh. Mexican food. And I'm like, what? And you know, so no idea. Um, so growing up in the Bay, um, what were you doing other than basketball? I mean, you're kind of hanging out. You said you're up in the Marin hiking yeah. stuff like that. Were you reading a lot? Were you writing a lot? I mean, what was any kind of creative stuff going on that early on? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I mean, I was a fairly academic kid too. I would say definitely, uh, like to read and, and got into writing relatively early and was, there were a few sort of like formative young adult books that were, uh, really influenced me and made me feel like particularly there was one book, uh, which was called Rat Saw God, um, which I haven't revisited in many years, but it was, it was a book that really made me feel like I could write about my own life in a way the the sort of the life of just the you know every day high school kid and uh after i read that book i uh wrote a, a sort of like a third of a novel okay that was kind of like my first foray into writing so i was into writing at the time at that young age and was kind of uh was fascinated by the power of it i think and and the kind of that that sort of uh the magic of creating a world in that way. And, and, and the rat saw God was kind of the first book that made me think like, Oh, this is something I could do with the, with the pieces that are available to me. Was, um, that, was that like a fantasy kind of novel or was that more set in the real world? It wasn't book? fantasy. It was actually a, uh, it was, it was very, it was very like classical young adult novel. It was about these high school kids. One, the, the, the main character is this kid who his, his dad is this famous astronaut. So he has all of this kind of like, uh, weight on him in terms of what he needs to live up to, but he's kind of like a, um, you know, an offbeat kid who 
doesn't really uh, fit in very well. And he meets these other kids and they form this club that's uh, about them creating Dadaist art projects <laughs> in Texas. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's kind of, it's a, uh, yeah, it's sort of just like a, a coming of age story. Really? So, yeah. I mean, you know, was it the kind of thing where you read it and you're like, oh, well, someone did this. I can do this too. Or was it kind of like, oh, someone did this. It made me feel this way. I want to try to make people feel that way yeah. as well. Yeah. It's interesting how that works. You know, how sometimes you see a great work and you're like, this is like, you know, it's like the light that shine, the light that illuminates or the light that obscures. Like the, sometimes you see someone's book and you're just like, that is so good. I should just stop writing. I could never write anything of that. Of course. Caliber, and then you see someone else's book and you're like, that is so good. And it makes me feel like I could also produce something uh, similar to it. I think it was, it was more the latter. It was more, it made me feel like, oh, this is something that like, you know, the, with the material that's surrounding with, with my own personal experience, I could, I could do something with this. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was definitely, uh, yeah, it was an inspiring thing to read as a, as a young person. Yeah. So high school going into college, I mean, did you, were you at that point? was that, did you want to be a writer? Was that the dream? Were you kind of, was it on the back burner? I mean, what, what, what were your goals at that age? Yeah. I think it was always floating around as something that I was interested in. I mean, in college, I definitely entertained a lot of different possibilities for were your parents encouraging of it. I think so. Yeah. My mom was always encouraging of it. I mean, I think she picked up pretty early on that I had a real interest in it. And so I think she kind of um, encouraged me in that sense and and sort of knew um, early on that it had been something that had drawn my attention. Um, But they, you know, my parents were not very forceful in any direction. They sort of wanted me to figure out uh, what I wanted. You know, they're hippies. (laughs) They, uh, they, they wanted me. Yeah, they wanted me to do I have one that. hippie parent. My my father is not a hippie. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I yeah, I tried out a few different things. It was always kind of like a part of my academic experience, I would say. Like I was always taking English classes and writing classes. So you were taking writing classes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I ended up majoring in English. Um, and then pretty much when I got out of school, I started uh, working and publishing almost immediately. So oh. then I was kind of like into the, into the work world. Of, what was that? Uh, so what was that? I mean, what was that? Were you doing an internship? I mean, was it kind of just, they were hiring and you wanted the job? Yeah. So I had actually, so I had done this thing in high school that was called the best American non-required reading, which was this class that used to be taught at McSweeney's uh, by Dave Eggers. And it was a group of high school students from around the Bay area who would meet at McSweeney's in the basement of McSweeney's. And they would read through everything that was published in a given year, all the, all the different literary journals, um, you know, like the Kenyan Review and Jubilat and Conjunctions and all that stuff. And this is what, what year? What year is this? This was my senior year in high school. So, I mean, for people who don't know, I mean, Dave Eggers is a big part of San Francisco, the Bay Area. I mean, he, so he's been involved that long. I mean, you know, I've known about him since 2010. Um, yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, Dave, Dave has been, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know what year exactly he created a26 Valencia, but it, this was sort of connected to A26 Valencia, which is his, his uh, writing yeah. nonprofit, now a national non- series of nonprofits. Um, but uh, we would meet in the basement at McSweeney's and, and we would kind of like talk through the different stuff we had read. And at the end of the year, we would pick 25 pieces that were then uh, published by Houghton Mifflin in this anthology. Um, and so I, 
I became familiar with McSweeney's through that experience really. And kind of, you know, when you would walk in to go to Best American, you would walk down this kind of like gauntlet of desks where all the McSweeney's editors were working. Um, and I would sort of like see them and generally like knew who they were. Um, and so when I got out of college, I went back to McSweeney's and did an internship with them and had picked up a couple of other jobs uh, in the meantime and piecing together, you know, a, a paycheck and stuff. And eventually a, a job opened up to be the managing editor of the of Best American Non-Required. Okay. There was always a managing editor that helped out that project. And so then that's how I sort of like stepped into working at McSweeney's and then from there ended up becoming associate editor and then managing editor of the quarterly. So are you writing during that time? And if so, what are you writing? Um, I was writing some, I, I wrote, um, I wrote a novel that I later abandoned, which every was single, I'm, at this point, I'm going to start the podcast with that question. Every single author I've spoken with. Yeah. And in their first novel. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's a part of the work, you know, it's a part of kind of like figuring yeah. out, uh, you know, kind of like getting out that I mean, I still feel that in myself in myself in the process of writing currently where I sort of like, you know, every sort of uh, section of a, of a project that I'm working on, I kind of have to get out a section of it that's not working mm -hmm. until I finally work my way to the section of it that's working. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's a part of... Um, I think it, you know, it can be definitely to me as a, as a young writer, it was dispiriting because I thought like, Oh, I'm, I can't, I can't do this. I can't get it right. And now the way I look at it more is sort of that, um, you know, your, your job isn't really to get it right. Your job is to just kind of like sit down there and, and do the work and whatever arises in, in the process of doing that is great. If it is successful, that's great. You get to keep it. If it's not successful, it just means it didn't, come for you that time, but that, uh, you know, you, you, you're not responsible for the output so much as you are responsible for kind of just showing up. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was, uh, that was sort of like my first experience of, of writing was feeling like, uh, you know, n not necessarily understanding that it was that I needed to kind of like work through, uh, that, that first draft of stuff and, and get it out and keep going and continuing to follow my interests really. Cause I think that's ultimately uh, how you get through that process too, is to just like not let yourself get deterred and to just kind of like keep reorienting yourself toward, you know, the things that are of interest to you. And over time those layer and it becomes something that uh, is, is a final thing. And so during that time, I mean, what was your routine? Were you writing in the morning before work? Were you writing at night? Were you writing on the weekends? I mean, were you reading a lot? Were you working a lot? What were you kind of doing at that period? Yeah, I would say all of the above. Yeah, uh, writing in the mornings. That's still my process. You know, I work um, for the Believer nonfiction magazine that actually used to be a part of McSweeney's and now is a part of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And so I, I have like a, you know, day job working normal hours. And Did you go to write. college in Vegas? No. Oh, okay. Okay. No, the, the, um, I only went down to Vegas because of the magazine only. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the magazine, uh, the magazine moved there in, uh, what was it? 20, uh, 2017. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you abandoned that first novel. You're kind of working full time. You, you said you're in the Bay area, right? Mm-hmm. 
um, you know, living yeah, in the Bay Area San can Francisco be a lot of that time. Yeah. You, oh, you were you were in SF at that time. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and what neighborhood? Where were you living in SF I, at that I was, time? I was in the Richmond. Oh, that, okay, great. Okay, inner yeah. or outer? Uh, inner. Okay, most. I mean, of course, we, we could talk yeah. SF all day for sure. Right by uh, USF. Yeah. Yeah. Good, well, right near Green Apple Books, obviously our favorite bookstore. Um, yes. All that good stuff. All right, cool. So you're living in SF. We've probably crossed paths and even know it. Um, <laughs> when did the idea for the boat builder come to you? And also, why that idea? Mm. Um. Well, I started writing the boat builder uh, later on. I I had actually moved to the East Bay by then. Okay. Um, so yeah. what were you doing in between that time? Were you writing anything else in short stories or were you kind of messing around with anything in SF? Um, I wasn't really, I, I don't think I was writing much during that time. I think I was mostly working and, uh, uh, you know, at, at that time I was in that interim period, I was at McSweeney's. So I was doing, you know, a lot of uh, stuff related to the quarterly and editing a, a few different books there while I was okay. there. Um, but yeah, I was in, I was in the East Bay and I, um, uh, started, uh, taking this class, uh, with this, uh, uh, boat builder named Bob Dar, who, uh, ran a school in, uh, Sausalito. Uh, it was a wooden boat building class. And, um, Bob was from, uh, Moran like me and, um, had grown up actually splitting his time between, uh, Tahiti where, uh, his father, uh, had a, a property and where um, he would run, his father would uh, run charters back and forth between uh, Tahiti and Mill Valley where Bob grew up. Whoa. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, it was a pretty incredible childhood. Yeah. Um, and uh, we, we just became uh, friends and um, uh, Bob, uh, you know, was a really great storyteller and, um, I felt he, he sort of like connected me to, uh, a kind of, he, he had a way of describing Marin and the experience of being his, the time when he worked in Marin that was really resonant to me and felt like something that, um, I hadn't heard described exactly, or the, the experience of, of that I hadn't really heard, uh, depicted in a certain way. And I thought, um, well, this could be, you know, the setting for a book, um, the idea of, of a, of a boat builder working in this kind of space, um, this kind of landscape. I mean, that, that's really, it started with the, the idea of the place more than it did the story. Um, uh, and so that's kind of, that was kind of the origin of the, of the project. And then, you know, it, it evolved and, and shapeshifted a lot from there. Um, well, yeah, I mean, we'll, so let, let's talk about that evolution, right? So yeah. you have a setting for a story, um, obviously, you know, rich of characters and, you know, just, Anyone who's walked through any, you know, mere woods could talk, right? You could, I mean, you know, where you live is, it's beautiful. So you have that setting. Um, the story deals with drug addiction, correct? Mm-hmm. You know, specifically pain pills and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, any, I mean, is, was that a personal experience? You know, someone you knew, I mean, growing up where I grew up, you know, Northern New Jersey, New Jersey, I mean, pain medication to this day is destroying, destroying those communities. Um, yeah. you know, I know per, I've been personally to shit, man, six, seven funerals, all from prescription pain overdoses. Um, yeah. so, you know, it was something that I kind of, you know, pick up on, um, we'll talk about that. You know, wh- where did that story come from? What was the genesis yeah. of that? Um, well that, yeah, that was like fairly, um, 
you know, connected to my own personal experience. I wasn't addicted to pain pills, but I did um, have a head injury and was prescribed pain kill painkillers and and took them. And the, you know, that's the 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 thing about those painkillers that often gets uh, kind of uh, lost in the conversation. I think is that they're you know they're really effective, especially <laughs> if you you know you're dealing with chronic pain. Yeah, and you know that's why they are as to a large extent why they're as addictive as you know obviously there's the element of chemical addiction but i think there's you know they're really effective and they help your pain and it definitely helped me and um but i was also aware and anxious and concerned about the question of of addiction i knew about the the um you know the the dangers there uh and so i think um the story really grew out of that um experience for myself of um, kind of like understanding a, a little bit of what it could be like and how, how it could, uh, how easily one could, uh, be susceptible to that kind of experience. And then also the, you know, the question of kind of like confronting the experience of pain, which was, uh, an ex- chronic pain. And I mean, the book, the book to me is re- really in large part, a book about dealing with chronic pain, um, and sort of, uh, learning, you know, through the, through the process of boat building, uh, how to, uh, allow the experience of pain to be there and not kind of like force uh, yourself against it and create additional suffering in addition to the pain we experience, you know, cause obviously everyone experiences pain. That's a part of the human condition, but suffering is more of this thing that we, you know, generate by wanting things to be different than they are. Um, and so, uh, that was kind of the, the, the story of the addiction and, and pain pills in many ways allowed me to tell that broader, more universal story of, of what it's like to be a person experiencing pain and confronting pain and kind of like the, the nature and, and anatomy of what it feels like to be in pain. Do you remember when that first sentence came to you? Of the, of the first chapter? Yeah. I mean, what, what you, yeah. Do you mean, do you remember that moment? I do. I was in my, I, you know, I don't remember the, I remember starting the project. I don't remember the exact date of when it happened, but I remember being in my room, starting the project. Um, and I, I pretty much wrote that whole first chapter, uh, in one night. And what, um, what did you kind of, with the idea of just blasting it out? I mean, not really kind of editing, just kind of get it on the paper. Yeah. I think I just, uh, felt that scene realizing itself and, uh, and, and then kind of like went from there. Um, so at that point though, had you already had a process with your writing? Again, you said you like to write in the morning and also were you still working with that actual boat builder? Were you talking to him about the book? I was, I wasn't talking to him about the book. I didn't tell him that I had written, uh, that the book until it was finished. Why not? Um, you know, that's a good question. I, I don't, uh, I think I didn't want to, uh, disrupt the process of working on it. Um, and I, and I thought that might do that. Um, and, and also kind of like make him maybe like self-aware, uh, of, of the, you know, uh, of being when he was around me. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in retrospect, I think Bob, you know, Bob's a very, uh, kind of, uh, uh, adaptive and smart and, and kind of grounded person. So I think he, I don't think he would have been phased by it, 
but uh and and you know the it was really interesting the experience of kind of like showing him the book and talking to him about the book because obviously the character by that point had taken on dimensions that had nothing to do with his life and um it, it, by the end the story was really not his story in the way that the whatever origins you know berg's character had in my own story was not, not my own story anymore and and that's kind of the interesting thing about fiction right like it sort of like starts with um you know some seed and then it develops into this other thing um but it was interesting to show him the project and and i think he enjoyed reading it and actually one of the coolest events i did was um this was definitely pre-pandemic we uh did a uh interview and reading in his boat shop okay in Sausalito. so it was me and, and colin winnett the author colin winnett came out and uh we did a, a talk and reading in his boat shop and it was a lot of the the folks who are part of like the Sausalito boat community and and uh part of bob's community really um came out and and that was a really special event so I mean I I had almost the exact same experience. So I wrote a boxing novella. I started boxing at Third Street Boxing Gym down in the Dog Patch about three or four years ago, and there was an old trainer there named Lenny, and he was I mean literally a character in a book. And I was training with him, and he just had you know like you you could have put him in any Rocky movie in any era, he would have been perfect. Old grumpy cab driver, right? And I'm like, you know what? I, I was working with him, you know, things he would say during workouts, I'd write them down. I'm like, I, I need to write about this guy. I'm like, but I can't have it be so on the nose. So I, you know, I'm Jewish. I grew up in, you know, a very Jewish part of the country in Northern New Jersey. Um, I'm like, let me take what I know, like Jewish people. Yeah. And let me take him and. So I took him and his boxing gym and put it in Jersey City and made him Jewish. And all I did was just change Lenny to Benny. But yeah. doing that, dude, was just enough to now a whole other universe opened up to me. And what started with this idea in my mind of like, let me write a story about Lenny initially at the end of it had nothing. But then I gave him the book and he had no, I never told him about it. Uh-huh. And I gave him the book, man. And he looked at, he was like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, I wrote a book and it's kind of about you, but not really. And he was like, he wasn't sure. And he took and he read it and he liked, and yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Almost the exact same experience. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, that's was he great. honored? Was he humbled by it? I, you know, I, I think so. I think, I think he probably, I don't know if he said those words specifically to me, but I think so. Uh, I, and I, yeah, I think that's, it's, it's, uh, yeah, for me, that's definitely a big part of my writing process is kind of like staying connected to something that's kind of like real and grounded in in like my own actual experience, but then kind of like letting it expand and diverge where it yeah. needs to expand and diverge, which it sounds like it is exactly what you did too, yeah. kind of like putting it on your own playing field and kind of like giving yourself the conditions that you need that it, that it needs to grow adequately. It, it's the same thing. It, it, what you said, I feel like if I had told him about it while I was writing it, it would have affected my process. He probably would have been thinking about it, right? He probably would have been like, hey, let me read some of it or something like that. It, it would have totally fucked up the whole process. Um, yeah. So so when the book came out, um, how did you how did you get in? I mean, you were already working, you said, in the publishing field, the editing field. How did you get the book into the world? I mean, did you already have an agent? Were you were you, you know, sending it out? How did that happen? Yeah. So I um I didn't have an agent. 
Um, I, I was, um, at that time I was actually not really working in publishing anymore. I had basically, um, uh, I was sort of like freelance editing. And then I was also, uh, working on this, uh, charter boat on the bay um, for, for this, uh, sailing company, which was also another thing that was kind of like, ended up being like woven into the book in in a, you know, different, but somewhat similar way. Um, so I was kind of like out of the writing world to a certain extent. Um, but you know, had was working, um, or out of the publishing world, I should yeah. say, but I was writing. Um, and, um, yeah, the, the book was, I, you know, I sent it around to a bunch of people there, what there wasn't a lot of interest in it. Just cold um, emails, just some agents you kind of found on the internet kind of thing, or did you have some, yeah. Problems? And, and yeah, some folks who I had known from, you know, just like working in publishing too. Um, and, uh, I ended up then sending it to a bunch of kind of like, uh, writer friends who I knew who were older. Um, uh, one of them being, uh, Dave, uh, Eggers and he really liked the book and he wanted to help me, uh, you know, uh, send it around. Um, and so he, he helped out a bit with that and, um, also helped with, uh, edits on the book too. Oh, wow. Um, and there still there still wasn't a lot of interest in it. And Dave was like, well, let's just publish it with McSweeney's. Um, and so that was kind of how that went down. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the book came out with McSweeney's and it was, you know, it, 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 a great experience in the sense that, you know, that all of the, um, uh, you know, there's so much more control when, when you're working with a small press in, in terms of like getting to weigh in on the cover and, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, it is, so it was, and also just to have it come out with, uh, folks who in, uh, some cases were my former colleagues. Uh, that was a cool process too. Um, Yeah. The publishing industry, you you could see some guitars and posters. I've been touring in bands since I was 13, 14 years old. And the publishing industry seems to be a lot like the music business. You know, the record mm -hmm. labels, the smaller the label, the more control you have, the larger the label, the more people who have their hands in the pot. So it kind of, you know, I guess you kind of cemented that idea. Um, So also it was part of the the National Book Award process, right? Can you talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about that? How did that kind of happen? That happened. You mean like, how did it? Uh, like that's my dog. <laughs> they can't see it. Well, now they can. My dog is playing with the lights and it's flashing. Uh, to, to continue, they'll 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 listen to you. Don't worry. Wow, he's a he's a light designer dog. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I was uh I was living in Vegas. Um, by that point, I had, I had moved down to Vegas. Um, to uh work um on the the sort of like second. Uh, life of the believer, which was starting up down there. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it, it was just, a, a a real surprise. I woke up one morning and, and had a, had a bunch of, uh, texts from people and did you submit it yourself or what did you have to submit it? Um, no, that they submitted McSweeney submitted it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and checked Twitter and found out that it was on the long list. And it, yeah, it was a super exciting day. Um, I was actually leaving the following day for Reno to go to their, uh, lit crawl. Um, and so we, and, and there was a party that night for the, uh, uh, Black Mountain Institute, which is the, the broader organization that, um, powers the, um, a bunch of different stuff, including now the believer. Um, and so went to that 
party that night and then woke up real early in the morning and just like jetted off to Reno. And it was all, all a bit of a blur during that period. I, were you, I mean, were you, we talked to a couple of authors on the podcast and some of them had, you know, they freaked out. Some of them didn't really give a shit. I mean, you know, did it, did it affect the book sales? I mean, you, you get the little thing on the book. I mean, if it, if that hadn't have happened, would you have cared either way? I mean, you, you know, is, is it even something you think about in the next book? Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think it was, it felt great, you know, to, to see it validated, especially because it, I mean, I think it, you know, like I said, it had been a book that had been rejected a lot, you know, yeah. probably, probably like 30 times. Yeah. Um, so to, to see it like come out and, you know, get, um, get acknowledged like that was, was definitely like special and, and validating. Um, but I think, um, you know, the, definitely with that book, I, I, I just felt really good about it. Like when I finished it in a way that, um, you know, allowed me to sort of like have it be rejected 20 times and then course, still yeah. want to publish it. Um, which I think, so to, to a certain extent, I was kind of like, I just felt really good about it being out in the world. And I was glad when I heard that people read it and, and glad to know that this was going to, you know, hopefully mean that more people were going to read it. Um, so I, I felt really good about it, uh, before that, but then that was also like a, a wonderful thing to, to and have had. rejection process. It was never something you wanted to give up on, right? It, you, you, you trusted your, you just wanted to continue push it through however you could. Exactly. Yeah. I felt like, um, I, I, I felt like it, I had, uh, done something that was, uh, you know, representative of the, of the kind of story I wanted to tell. And so yeah. I, I felt, I felt confident in that. Yeah. Um, uh, which, you know, in retrospect, looking back on it, it was, you know, it was a lot of, a lot of, t- uh, rejection to, to oh, confront yeah. in that sense. I got rejected. I got 73 rejections, <laughs> 73 rejections, yeah. but I see, I was an asshole about it. I, 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 I learned the process the hard way. Um, so I'm at the back end of finishing my first ever novel. I, I'm, I'm done telling the story that I want to tell. It's about a rock and roll band. Um, and I'm gearing myself up for the next cycle of rejections to come my way. Um, yeah. So that being said, I'm also working on two other books right now as well. Are you working on anything right now? Had you started a new idea beforehand? Yeah. What's your process like? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a huge part of the process getting rejected. You oh, know? And of course. Uh, yeah, it's important to, uh, you know, every writer, I think, has to kind of like form their relationship with that experience. And you hear, you know, you hear it a lot from writers who are, you know, super accomplished uh, writers who talk, you know, say, you know, they still get rejected from 10 things a year or like, you know, and it's relative to a certain extent, the context oh, yeah. changes for like what constitutes rejection to you. But um, yeah, it's definitely like a huge part of the process, I think, always moving through. And, and that's one of the kind of like, I think things that uh, one of the skills of becoming a writer is kind of like figuring out how you deal with that, you know, and, and keep uh, going forward. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. And I think it, I, so I always think it's like good to talk about it too. And to kind of like mm-hmm. put it out on the table. It's a theme. I think I'm going to get in the back behind my head on the podcast. Uh, we had Janet Fitch yeah. on. She, I guess now infamous infamously said she was able to cover an entire wall with rejection letters of her yeah. apartment, like yeah. know, wallpaper. Um, so yeah. yeah, I was saying before, so 
are you working on it and anything now or yes. have you started something previous while you were working on the boat builder? I mean, what's your process? Yeah, I'm working, I'm working on a new project now. That's kind of definitely still in a sort of like, uh, you know, I, I'm getting to the end of what I think is a, a first draft really. Okay. Um, do you, so still did going you do a lot of drafts for the boat builder? How many drafts did you do for that? I probably did. Um, you know, it's interesting. It's hard to think about it in terms of drafts yeah. because, you know, I read through each scene so many times, but I think probably in terms of like complete drafts that were reviewed by a different person, probably like three. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, then in my process of writing is kind of like working through, I'm kind of like molding and, and smoothing stuff and generating more stuff and then molding and smoothing that over and over again. Yeah. Um, I often go back really far into the first part of the story and begin reading through that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll, and I'll make tweaks along, along the way as I'm doing that, um, for, for kind of like rhythm. And, you know, maybe I realize that some other piece of information should be seated earlier in the story or stuff like that. Are you a big phone guy? Do you do voice memo notes when things kind of come in your head? I write, I write down notes. Yeah. I write, I use the, the, the notes app and yeah. Um, it's not an entire short story. Huh? (laughs) I said, it's not the most organized, uh, notebook, but you know, it gets the job done. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I own a dog walking business here in San Francisco. Oh really? Yeah. So I'm in the woods dude all day. And I mean, ideas, they, they, they're coming at me and I have to, I mean, if people ever got a hold of my phone, I mean, no, it, it's of course it's all. Yeah, that's what's going to be in your uh, your archives. It's all a mishmash, man. It's all a mishmash. So, so you ha- did you have the idea for the new book a long time ago, or did you kind of wait to finish the, the first book and then? Um, I started working on this project about um, a year ago. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's sort of sort of when it, really when I moved back to the Bay Area. Okay. Um, and it it you know, broadly, it, it sort of like deals with the um, experience of uh, being between uh, two instances of like wildfire. So kind of like the period after um, a wildfire and before another one. A, a literal wildfire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Again, Northern yes. California, we should, you know, with a prairie well, yeah, for sure. Interesting. Well, Daniel... Yes. Yeah, we'll sort of looking at that as like the new uh, one of kind of like the now like defining features of being here to a certain extent is kind of like knowing that 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 cycle is going to be there and and kind of like live within that cycle. Well, it's like people told me when I moved to San Francisco, they're like, "Well, what about the earthquakes?" <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's part. It's just, it's, it's. But then you know, but then we all. I think we live in paradise, man. I, I think the Bay Area is one of the best places, best places ever, man. It's the best. yeah. Well, Dan, well actually, Reba, the bulldog, is giving me the dead eye. Uh, <laughs> Daniel, this was a blast, man. Um, thanks so much for taking the time. Um, I yeah, asked a couple of kind of quick questions at the end. Um, first question is, what bookstore do you rep? Where do people? Where should they buy your books from? Well, you know, I would, you know. The bookstore that I really loved that just uh, went out of business, unfortunately, was uh, Wolfman. Hmm. Um, I also was uh, that in the East Bay. Yeah, yeah, it was a great bookstore that was owned by Justin Carter, and they also produced a quarterly, which I loved, called oh, the uh, Life Quarterly. Um, 
But other bookstores, uh, East Bay Books is my is my neighborhood one. Most and then I also love Point Reyes Books um, up in Point Reyes Station, yeah. uh, set, run by Molly and uh, Stephen Sparks. Well, maybe you and I can open up a bookstore, Daniel. That would be, and hey, we always need more bookstores. I'm into it. And uh, do you do social media? Can people get in, in touch with you? Any Twitter, Instagram, anything? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. It's just at D and then my last name, Gumbiner. Yeah. Daniel, thanks so much, man. Hey, thank you. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, most definitely. Enjoy the rest of the yeah. beautiful evening we got. Yeah, you too. All right, later, dude. All right.